Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Friday, October 18th. And uh, you know what I just realized? I'm, I'm so sorry to go on this tangent already in the show. Today, a video game called A Hat in Time comes out on Nintendo Switch. I think it is the best platformer I've ever played in my entire life. I love 3D platformers. I'm a nerd about them. I just, I wrote that date down. And I knew it was significant for some reason. That's what it is. It's that game comes out. Um, you know, I, I know it's Friday night. <laughs> There's no way you're going to hear this until Saturday morning. It's 8.30 on the West Coast to 8.30 p.m., but by the time I edit this and upload this, I mean, let's be honest, I haven't even gotten all the, the breakouts from the episode I recorded yesterday onto YouTube. So this one's going to be a while. <laughs> You'll hear this Saturday morning. I'm excited, though. It's a very short episode today. I am doing a film analysis of Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears quarterback. I'm doing Ask Zach. It's a good episode. And uh, we'll talk about Patrick Mahomes to start the show very briefly. But I, I just want to say I, I'm so fulfilled with this job. I have the greatest supporters in the world. You guys were almost at 300 supporters on Patreon. Are you kidding me? That's un- just unbelievable to me. I-, I love what we're doing. I love you guys, the people that listen to this show. And I, I um, I'm so grateful <clears throat> that I get to do as my voice cracks. I'm falling apart. You know, it's a short episode today because I, I have nothing left in the tank after this. I'm in the middle of like 11 film analysis projects, which is like, why, Zach? Why do you do that to yourself? I don't know. I'm stupid and an idiot. I have notebooks full of more analysis than you can possibly think of. The one I finished today is finally Mitchell Trubisky. And, uh, but first, before we get there, Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes got hurt on Thursday Night Football. He has a dislocated kneecap. He's expected to miss a couple weeks, two to three weeks, Closer to three weeks, maybe even longer. Uh, obviously, this is terrible for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the word I that comes to my mind is disastrous. It's like, oh, I feel bad for them. And three weeks, by the way, I, I, know, I don't know why I said two even at all. Three weeks is optimistic. That's assuming he can come back and then play through the pain. So I, I don't know what else people want from me beyond that other than to talk about what's next for the Chiefs. Is it going to affect them? Are they going to make the playoffs? I think the Chiefs can still make the playoffs because... The way, <laughs> all they have to do is win their division. They're 5-1 and one right now. Now, the next three weeks without Patrick Mahomes are going to be pretty rough. They play the Packers, followed by the Vikings, and then the Titans. And uh, they'll be lucky to go 1-2 and two in those three weeks without Patrick Mahomes. They have injuries all over the place. And without your starting quarterback, who was the NFL MVP last year, of course you're going to struggle. And if the, pa- uh, if the Chiefs go... One and two in the next three weeks without Mahomes, they will have a record of six and four. I think it's reasonable. I think more more likely is that they, they end up five and four. It's possible they lose all three games without Patrick Mahomes, but they'll be five and four when he returns. He's going to come back, and then all they have to do is win their division. And I'll be honest, the Chiefs' division is not that talented. It's not that solid. They have the Raiders. The Raiders are the big threat to them in their division. Right now, the Broncos are two and five. They just got beat by the Chiefs. I don't think the Broncos are capable of taking out the, you know, catching up to and taking out the Chiefs. I don't think the Chargers are capable of it. They're two and four. Now, the Raiders are three and two, and they have a really big game. You know, it's very interesting. A lot of Raiders fans got very upset at me because I did a, a list of the six games I think are most interesting 
for the NFL Week 7. And uh, I didn't include the Raiders at the Packers in, at Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And the reason I did that was because I was like, well, I think, I mean, honestly, if I'm, if I'm honest with you guys listening, I think the Packers win that game. And I didn't really think much more than that. I just kind of glazed over like, yeah, it's a close game. But now that Patrick Mahomes has been injured, there's a new significance to this game between the Raiders and the Packers. The Raiders now have four games. You know, to tomorrow, they have Sunday, and then three weeks after that, for them to try to catch up to the Chiefs and maybe steal their lead or steal their spot at atop the division. Now, even after that, you still have to do better than Patrick Mahomes the rest of the year. I don't know that they can do that. But right now, the most interesting thing to come away from with this Patrick Mahomes injury, I think it's actually a blessing in disguise for the NFL in general. Forget the Chiefs, I feel bad for them. But for the NFL and the, the, the intrigues and the intrigue of the NFL, man, it makes the AFC West so much more fun. Can the Raiders in the next four games and next three weeks after this week steal the lead the Raiders have and the, the Chiefs have in their division? The next four games for the Raiders are not easy. They play, the, they play at the Packers in Lambeau. They play at the Texans in Houston. That's two tough games in a row the next two weeks. They play against the Lions at home and against the Chargers at home. Right now, the fun storyline to me is the AFC West and the race between those two teams. And I'll be honest, if they, so they're 3-2 they're and two now. If they can go 2-2 two and two in the next four weeks... They'll be five and four. I think the Chiefs are likely going to be five and four. I don't know that. I don't see them winning a game without Mahomes. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm crazy. And Matt, you know, their backup quarterback Matt Moore comes in and is fantastic and just shocks the world. Maybe that's that happens. But I'm not gonna. Why would I put my money on Matt Moore, a guy who is a, a career backup who's been fine all his entire NFL career? Matt Moore is the guy, the backup in Kansas City, who's going to come off the bench. But ah, uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't really have a lot of faith in that. But I do want to mention. Uh, while I'm talking about this division, <laughs> I was horribly, horribly wrong about the AFC West. Like, embarrassingly wrong. I just The one thing I got right about the AFC West is that I thought the Chiefs were going to be good and probably win their division. Other than that, <clears throat> oh, man, it's, uh, it's one of those ones where, like, oh, man. I, I do a segment occasionally called Zach is a Genius where I make fun of myself because Obviously, I'm not a genius. This is one of those moments where like, oh, yeah, Zach's a genius. He got that right, and he did not. Uh, I was wildly wrong about the Chargers. They're two and four. They've looked awful this year. I was most wrong about the Denver Broncos. I thought that them adding Joe Flacco, a quarterback from the Ravens, I thought he was going to come in motivated and do well for their team and maybe elevate them. Yeah, they're two and five with Joe Flacco. It's not working, and honestly, when I watch Joe Flacco play football, I have to wonder, hey, uh, Joe, do you love the game? Are you into this? Are you just collecting a paycheck? What's going on? When I watch Joe Flacco, honestly, I go, you've made millions of dollars in the NFL. Are you just collecting paychecks? Do you care at all? I know that's brutal. That's unfair to ask. You're supposed to say, well, everybody cares. Does everybody care? Do the Dolphins care? The Dolphins are just coasting. They're not trying to win. And a lot of teams in the NFL, I think, I've, I've learned recently and, and kind of ha I've come to the realization, not everyone in the NFL is trying to win. Is Joe Flacco, is Joe Flacco just collecting money? He, I, I saw a stat today. It was earlier this morning. He's made over $166 million in the NFL. And I got, I got messages from, from, from Joe Flacco fans that are in Delaware. And I, I get it. I know that's not fair to him. Guy sent me a message on Instagram. He's very kind. He just very respectfully disagreed with 
my one sentiment that maybe he's made a lot of money in the NFL. He said, Joe Flacco works, whatever. Point is this, I was wrong. And the other thing I was wrong about was the Oakland Raiders. Temporarily the Oakland Raiders, soon to be the, LA, the Las Vegas Raiders. Another team, that'd be horrible, a third team in LA. No, they'll be the Las Vegas Raiders very soon. I had them finishing fourth in their division. <laughs> and now I'm talking about them as the interesting team that could challenge the Chiefs in their division now without Patrick Mahomes. Hey, Zach is not a genius. I was wrong. And uh, I got that one wrong. I got the AFC West very, very wrong. That is the storyline to follow in the next couple weeks. Can the Chiefs win without him? And can the Chargers come from behind and catch up to the Chiefs in the AFC West? Watch it. It'll be fun. Okay. Let's move on to Mitchell Trubisky and uh, the film analysis a lot of people have been waiting for for a very, very, I, I, no, wow, I don't want to, <laughs> is it assumption, uh, assumptive of me to go, people have been waiting for a long time? I've been talking about it for a long time. I've wanted to do this for a long time. And then I'm doing my best. I am cranking out as much content as this little, I record on a, look at this, it's a Mac Mini. As I look to make sure this recording doesn't stop, I lift this up. I record on a Mac Mini. It's basically basically a laptop from like 2013. I want a new computer. I want to get better internet. I, I, I'm doing the very best I can. So let's talk about the Bears quarterback. Mitchell Trubisky is the Bears starting quarterback. And I have been pretty hard on him over the years. I think it's safe to say. I remember watching him last season and feeling like, oh, I'm so frustrated. And I felt bad for Bears fans last year because of his inconsistent and often really bad play. I was like, ah, this is a, a good team that I feel like is being held back by their quarterback. And then to make things even worse, I will never, ever forget the fact that the Bears picked Mitchell Trubisky number two overall in the 2017 NFL draft ahead of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. That's a lot to live up to. Those are two really talented quarterbacks that the Bears decided Mitchell Trubisky was better than. So I have a lot of questions about Mitchell Trubisky. Like, what's going on? And I want to just figure out what, I want to see this for myself. I want to watch the film. So the way I answer all my questions is I ask, what does the film say? And then I try to be as fair as I can when I watch film. And I'll be honest, I was pleasantly surprised. I'm not pleasantly surprised, but I was surprised with what I found. I expected to do a topic about Mitchell Trubisky and just rip him to shreds and say he's awful and inept and terrible. And I got to say, he's not an awful quarterback. <laughs> he's, he's fine. And that's the problem. That is the problem with Mitchell Trubisky. What I saw last year, a different year, last year was really frustrating. A lot of bad plays. And this year I see some progression. He's a little better this year. There are fewer horrible throws. There are fewer horrible decisions. But the truth is, Mitchell Trubisky is a mediocre quarterback. The dude throws a ton of checkdowns. He's very safe with the ball. And now he's played in three full games this year. And in three full games, I only saw four throws where I went, wow, you know, that's a good throw. Four times. <laughs> there, against the Packers, he threw two back shoulder fades. Both of them were to Allen Robinson. Both throws were down the left sideline. I'm like, oh, that's a really good throw. He also had a sweet throw where he changed his delivery. He threw a sidearm pass to get the ball out. I went, oh, 
It's a nice play. You fit it into a tight window. Good job. And the fourth play was against the Washington Redskins. He bought time in the pocket. He stepped up and he threw the ball about 40 yards downfield into the, into the end zone for a touchdown. So uh, four plays. <laughs> That's it. And other than that, I saw just a bunch of dinky throws, a lot of throws underneath, a lot of checkdowns. He's not pushing the ball downfield very much. And I saw a lot of bad plays. Bad plays. Number one is, you know, his accuracy is, his, his inaccuracy, his lack of accuracy is concerning. There are times where he straight up misses and you go, ooh, that's, uh, that's unacceptable. Also, his legs are a big part of his game. I will acknowledge, like, he uses his legs to run and create plays as a quarterback. That's a big part of his ability and helps him succeed. However, running also leads to a problem he has. There are times where he leaves the pocket too early or he escapes to the right and tries to run when he should step up in the pocket instead. And he makes considerable bad decisions. Like, over and over, go, oh, that's a bad decision. And there are a couple times where he's throwing the ball into coverage, and I'm like, mm, no, 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 no. That's bad. One of his interceptions was a poor decision where he forced the ball and do double coverage. And his second interception of the year, he's only thrown two this year. He's played in three games. His second interception of the year was on the goal line, uh, a goal line fade against the Redskins, where he misread the way Josh Norman, the corner, played the ball and threw the wrong type of pass. He's not terrible, but he's very average. A lot of quarterbacks that play in the NFL could do what he does. Throw a check down, sometimes make bad decisions. Yeah, the truth is, a lot of guys could actually do better than Mitchell Trubisky does. That's why it was so puzzling to me when the Bears picked him number two overall in the 2017 NFL Draft. The word that comes to my mind is baffling. Why would you pick him over Deshaun Watson? I, I, I guess, like, I don't really understand why you would pick him over Patrick Mahomes, because, but I guess you can argue, well, Patrick Mahomes was a work in progress. He had a lot of ugly throws. He sat an entire year almost in Kansas City. He needed time to develop fair enough. But I think the Bears got too caught up in the draft you know, quote, looking for the, quote, traditional quarterback. And they stupidly overlooked Deshaun Watson, who was considered, you know, by the older generation, their words, not mine. He's, he's an athletic quarterback. Uh, all right, then. That's a bad move. You know, again, those are not my words. I don't understand why you would pick Trubisky over Deshaun Watson. I didn't then. I don't now. And I probably never will. If you look at the Bears now, I, I will acknowledge you can make uh, excuses for Trubisky. His receivers aren't great. There's a couple drop passes and plays where I go, ah, that could be better by the receiver. And I suppose it's only year three. There is time for Trubisky to improve. But for me, it's really difficult to watch this Bears roster, which I think is in a position to win right now, fail and be held back by what I think is a quarterback problem. A quarterback that isn't good enough. Now, some people question the Bears head coach, Matt Nagy's play calling. Matt Nagy, in my opinion, is a really smart offensive coach. I like him. He's got great play design. 
And I think he's a great play caller. But a lot of people criticize him for not throwing the ball deep enough and deep enough often, deep often enough with Trubisky. They say, well, we only throw short passes. That's what the Bears fans say. (sighs) Uh, I don't think people understand. Mitch is incredibly safe. The quarterback is really, really safe with the ball. And he misses guys all the time deep downfield. Here's an example. There's a play against the Redskins where Matt Nagy makes a great call. There's man coverage on the outside. The number two receiver, who's the farthest on the inside, runs a wheel route down the left sideline. That means the defender covering him in man coverage needs to find a way to fight through the tangle the two outside receivers create and follow his man outside. He can't. And the wheel route comes wide open. However, Mitchell Trubisky doesn't throw him the ball. No, there's a little bit of pressure. No one directly in his face, but still, he panics. He throws to his check down Trey Burton way too early. And he doesn't even give the play a chance. He has a guy open, deep downfield, doesn't throw him the ball. That's why the play calling for the Bears has been so bland and safe. They have a quarterback who won't throw the ball there. So why why waste our time? Mitchell Trubisky is a mediocre quarterback. When I watch him, there's no wow plays. There's no like, you know, when I watch Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or even Carson Wentz, even Dak Prescott, I'll, I'll be honest, even, I hate saying this, even Kirk Cousins, the Vikings quarterback, occasionally makes a throw and I go, wow, that's a really good throw in a tight window, in a tight coverage. That's, that's an impressive high-level NFL throw. I Never do that with Trubisky. I wait and I wait and it doesn't happen. His best moments are meh. The highest of Mitchell Trubisky, the best moments are just very meh. It's fine. But his worst moments are bad. Bad, bad, bad. Checkdowns and dinky throws. He's very average. That's why there was no drop off when he got hurt. At the beginning of the Bears' week four game against the Vikings, just a few plays in, Trubisky got hurt. And he was replaced by Chase Daniel. And so far, to this point in the season, these, this is how these two quarterbacks compare statistically. In three full games, Mitchell Trubisky has three touchdowns, two interceptions, a 65% completion percentage, and 588 yards passing. That's Trubisky. Now, Chase Daniel... In almost, not quite, but almost two full games, he has three touchdowns, two interceptions, a 73.3% completion percentage, and 426 yards passing. Chase Daniels, Chase Daniel, there's no S, Chase Daniels averaging 213 yards passing per game, while Mitchell Trubisky is averaging 147. And when I watch film of Chase Daniel, I notice that the play calling changes. The Bears suddenly were more aggressive. They're finally throwing the ball downfield, and both the play calls facilitated throwing the ball downfield, and Chase Daniel, the quarterback, was pulling the trigger on throws downfield. He was making it happen, and the coaches put faith in him. Rather than throwing simple checkdowns, he was throwing the ball downfield. And I I wonder if Matt Nagy, the head coach, was quietly happy that Chase Daniel was playing. You know, 
I understand why the Bears want Mitchell Trubisky to be their starter. He's a former number two overall pick. That's who management wants. It's a great embarrassment if the number two overall pick gets benched for, by a, you know, for a career backup. And he's 25 years old while Chase Daniels 33. The Bears need Trubisky to be their future. He's got to be the future of their franchise, and they cannot admit defeat. It'd be a great shame to have to bench their starting quarterback for Chase Daniel. And again, if they're close, you got to go with the younger guy because Mitchell Trubisky is younger. And in theory, you can say, well, he's still on the upward trajectory. Now, Chase Daniel has been a backup in the NFL for years. There's reasons for that. Some of them are positive. Some of them are negative. The reason, the negative reasons, the reason he was never viewed as a potential starter is he'll miss easy throws sometimes. He did that a couple times when I've watched him. Just misses throws that you got to hit. Here are his two interceptions. One was simply a bad decision. He did not see a linebacker underneath. It's a a bad choice. His second interception was unfortunately some kind of miscommunication. I don't know what happened. I don't know what Chase Daniel's thinking here, but I mean, there's a defender in the area. I don't know why he threw the ball to this spot. But the receiver and him were not on the same page. He threw the ball where there's no receiver in the area. Defender caught the ball. Easy interception. But along with his negatives, there's a flip side of this. He's been a career backup. He's been a career backup because he's never been viewed as a starter for a reason. But he's also been a career backup. And he's made it for so many years in the NFL. He's hung around for a long time because he can play a little bit. There's a great throw on a third and seven against tight man coverage for a 13-yard gain. I went, wow, that's awesome. You know what I didn't do very often with Mitchell Trubisky? Go, wow. He threw a lot of good passes. Unlike Trubisky, he hangs in the pocket. He made a number of good throws downfield. He didn't escape the pocket early. He hung in there, stepped up. He wasn't afraid to pull a trigger on deep balls. And in the end, if you ask me, the Bears move the ball better with Chase Daniel at quarterback. That's painful. I don't like that. And, and honestly, that's more of a sad reflection of how mediocre Mitchell Trubisky is rather than a statement about how good Chase Daniel is. Chase Daniel's not a great quarterback. He's solid. He's fine. But it's really the fact that Trubisky is mediocre and average. And it's sad. It is. I still have no idea What the Bears saw in him that made him the number two overall pick in the 2017 NFL draft. Breaks my heart. It's sad. I think the franchise is being held back by their quarterback. Time will tell. Maybe, you know, they play the Saints this week. Maybe he just shocks the world and is great. And maybe this whole year or the rest of the year steps it up and is fantastic. So far, I have not seen the progression I want. Every quarterback progresses at a different rate. I understand that. But it's really hard when there's a contrast between Deshaun Watson doing fantastic and Patrick Mahomes winning the NFL MVP from the same draft class as Mitchell Trubisky. And we're still like, you know, is he better than Chase Daniel? Like a lot of people, a lot of Bears fans want Chase Daniel to be the starter. Would you have that discussion with Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson? No, you wouldn't. I know it's year three. I know he's still, you know, we, we, a lot of Bears fans keep hoping he's going to progress and get better. He's not. Uh, and the fact that other people that were drafted after him are significantly better is a great shame to the Bears franchise. It makes me very, very sad.
Okay, before we take a break, uh, this is the topic I do at the end of every single episode. It's very important to me. If you're struggling, please get help. You know, three years ago, my younger brother took his life. It was the worst thing I've ever been through, ever. Uh, horrible, heartbreaking. <laughs> That's funny. I don't recommend it any, for anybody. Um, and I learned two painful lessons through that. Number one is that my brother never shared his struggles. I had no idea. No one knew that my brother was having a hard time. Uh, one day I came home and he was dead on the floor. And that stinks. I worked with him. We used to hang out all the time. He never told me. He never told anybody he was having a hard time. That's one painful lesson. So if the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. I have no idea if anybody actually ever calls that number. Uh, but I do know that what you can do is reach out to your friends and family, the people in your life. Talk to somebody. Go get help. The other painful lesson I learned when my brother died is that I didn't do a good enough job making it clear to him, hey, I'm here for you. I love you. And if you're having a hard time, you can talk to me. I saw my brother at the very least once a week, usually far more because we worked together too. We worked together. Once a week, we sat down to play Halo together. I would bring the Xbox over to his house. We would sit down on the couch next to each other and play Halo and talk about life and I never made it clear enough to him, hey, dude, I love you, and if you're struggling, we can talk about more than dumb football and whatever. We can have a real in-depth conversation. So make sure the people in your life know how much you love them, know that you care about them, and make sure that door is open that, hey, we don't have to always talk about football or talk about this. There's a reason why I do this on a sports podcast. On a sports podcast, right in the middle, I talk about suicide prevention because it matters to me and because it's a conversation everybody should be able to have. I'm passionate about it. I lost my brother because I didn't, in part, what I learned from that was you got to do a better job making sure the people in your life know that they're loved and know that they can talk to you. So make sure the people in your life, tell them you love them, tell them you're there for them. You know, I made a joke the other day. I, I, I use it as an analogy. It was actually a bad one. I said, you know, I love my girlfriend and I like my friends. I love my friends too. It's a different level with my girlfriend for sure. But I love my friends. I, 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 I said that and I felt in instantly bad about it. it was, I felt weird. I was like, you know, I used that line for the show. It was kind of off the cuff, a thing that came out in the moment. And um, a lot of people commented, like, you only like your friends. You don't love your friends. Yeah, no, I, I love my friends. <laughs> Nathan Hawthorne, Elijah, uh, guys, it means so much to me. You know, Nathan Hawthorne and I were texting today. We were like, I, I needed some language. We were just talking about Patrick Mahomes and talking about this and that. And he helped me with the, well, remember that people thought Trubisky was a better, quote, traditional quarterback over Deshaun Watson. So he's awesome. He's at the Jag32 on Instagram. He's one of my best friends in the world. My point is this. Actually, I'll tell a story about Nathan. Nathan and I play football all the time. We go and throw together. Uh, he, he played receiver at Portland State, Division One receiver. And we would go, quote, play catch, and we would throw around. And all that means is we would run routes and have, you know, we'd run like, 15 minutes of intense routes, and then we'd screw around for like 15 minutes and talk about life and our girlfriends and this and that. And then we'd work out for 15 more minutes and throw the ball, and then have 15 more minutes off and talk about life. And him and I helped each other through so many hard times doing that exact routine. So my point is make sure the people in your life know you love them. Don't be afraid to have awkward, hard conversations about life. It doesn't always have to be about video games and sports and whatever. Don't be afraid to break down that barrier and talk about life. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Uh... I, I don't know if I'm, I'm a little bit sorry. That went on longer than I ever have done for this segment of if you're struggling, get help. I feel kind of weird it went that long. But hey, 
It's an important conversation to have. My name is Zach Schaumler. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach, and I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I have a correction from last uh, episode I did yesterday. I misspoke. (laughs) I said that the Celtics traded for point guard Kemba Walker. He was added in free agency. I know what happened. I just You get in the moment, and you only have a couple bullet points. It's easy to get off of them, and I just was in the moment, and some of you heard the wrong thing. I did fix it in post. I went back, and you know, on on SoundCloud, you can re-upload a new file and file replace. You can't on YouTube, so the people that heard it on YouTube now forever will hear that uh, they will hear the words that Kemba Walker was traded to the Celtics instead of added to the Celtics. I apologize for that, but uh, you know, I I just I, I wanted to acknowledge that I make mistakes. I'm human. I misspeak all the time. Uh, as a wise scholar once said, English is hard. <laughs> that was me. I'm not wise. I'm a stupid idiot. I do the best I can. Um, I also have a number of film analysis videos in progress right now. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett, Baker Mayfield, Marcus Mariota. Um, I have a whole schedule and plan for how they're going to come out and when they're going to come out. And I'm doing the best I can. I don't want to say it because if I miss it, I just don't want to have unnecessary pressure on myself. I'm doing the best I can. Um, the, the one I'm working on First is Marcus Mariota because he got benched, and I want to figure out why he was benched. But I'm trying to do them right and take my time. I don't want to put out a crappy product, and I would rather take my time and do it the right way. So I just want you to know that they're coming, and it's I am just churning out content as quickly as I can, as much as I can, and I'm doing the very best I can. All right. Uh, it's time for Ask Zach. This is a segment I do at the end of every single one of my podcasts. People who support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It's a dollar a month. Uh, you can give me more if you want. It literally pays my bills. It's a huge help. Um, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. I only submit questions on Patreon. You can send me a Patreon DM, a direct message. That's what DM stands for. If you have no idea and you live under a rock for a long time or you're new to social media, I don't know, uh, DM. Or you can comment on a post on Patreon. And I read all of them. My my only promise is this. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. I just, I have 300 almost patron supporters. I can't do that. But what I do guarantee and promise is if you send me a message or you comment on a post, I will look at it with my eyeballs. And what I want to do, I need to do a better job of really responding to my DMs because I look at them and sometimes just copy paste them into the desktop without saying, hey, thank you for the question. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm sorry. I want to do a better job of liking comments on posts. You know, there's, I get so bombarded. I get so many messages all the time and I get very overwhelmed on social media. It just comes with the territory when you have a hundred thousand people that follow you, you get a lot of messages, but I want to do a better job. There's 300 people on Patreon and I really want to make an effort to talk to every single person on Patreon because you guys pay my bills and you guys take care of me. And you know, if there's any community I'm going to engage with, there's toxic YouTube comments that are awful and terrible. But you guys on Patreon are the the people that support me the most. You you literally give me money every month, and I wanna I really want to talk to you guys and, and really uh, engage with you guys more. I, I I've just been in a poor I've done a poor job, and I've never promised that I would. But I do want to be very clear. I'm doing the best I can. I'm making as much content as I can, and I want to do a better job having conversations with you guys. And at least at the very least, like your dang post. When I choose to put it in the show so you know it's coming or some kind of engagement would be cool. Anyways, long rant is over. I want to start with a question from Alone. It's A-L-O-N. We had a whole conversation last time. Uh, He said I could call him Alone. 
A-L-O-N. It's, I, I want to say Alon. Hey, that seems like it was wrong. So alone it is. He writes in, he says, okay, Zach, it's been two weeks and the 49ers have crushed their competition. I believe it's now time to talk about them. Uh, you are right. It has been two weeks and uh, the 49ers are 5-0. and And for the record, uh, I am working on a Jimmy Garoppolo film analysis. It's in the making. Uh, I hope, I, I, I tentatively hope to record it and put it out Friday. I'll record it on Thursday, put it out on Friday. Uh, I still think Jimmy G, the quarterback, like any team mostly, is the the key to the 49ers winning in the playoffs. Their defense is incredible. They've killed their last two opponents. They killed the Browns 31-3. They murdered the the Rams 20-7. And, it, you know, it's 20-7. I guess it's only a two-score victory. It felt like more. It's just they really dominated the Rams, in my opinion. Uh, they play the Redskins on Sunday. That should be another big victory. And unless someone gets hurt or something crazy happens this is a team that could easily finish 12 and 4 or 3 and 13 I still would argue though that the 49ers haven't beaten anybody significant yet you hear the teams they beat the Rams who are 3 and 3 they beat the Browns who are 2 and 4 they beat the Steelers who are 2 and 4 the Bengals who have zero wins and six losses and the Buccaneers who are 2 and 4 they haven't played a good team yet the Rams are questionable they're they're 3 and 3 we'll figure out there as how they develop whether Jalen Ramsey can help them out this year, but they've, they've been bad. Although I will acknowledge the 49ers have been blowing out their crappy opponents. There's a good comment to one of the videos. It's like, it, to me, it's not about who they're beating. It's how they're beating them. Fair enough. But I stand by what I've said. I still doubt Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm going to, I'm waiting to see what the film says. That's my whole mantra. Uh, I don't want to make a grand statement about Jimmy Garoppolo until I've seen what he can do on film. Because what I've seen in games is scary, but it's a little different when you can see the safeties and the coverage and you get the all-22 view. Now, the last five games, well, the last six games, five of the last six games for the 49ers are really tough. They're going to test them. You know, the, the last six games are this. They play the Packers, the 49ers play the Ravens and the Saints. Three tough teams in a row, I think three playoff teams potentially. Then they play, have an easier game against the Falcons. And I, I really, I, I stirred the pot, right? I said that maybe the Falcons could have a good opportunity to beat the 49ers because Dan Quinn played the 49ers once. I think that was idiotic. When I look, you know, the Falcons are terrible. Their defense is awful. And, you know, the same way that Dan Quinn will have insight to beating the 49ers, the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan will have insight into beating Dan Quinn. They both know each other very well. There's not really an advantage there. When I think about it logically, I go, okay, wait. Why does Dan Quinn get an advantage for knowing Kyle Shanahan? Shouldn't Kyle Shanahan get an advantage for knowing Dan Quinn? And then the last two games of the year for the 49ers, they play Jalen Ramsey and the Rams, and then they go to Seattle week 16 to play the Seahawks. So they have four or five tough games in the last six games. It really kind of depends on how the Rams develop. And I'm excited to see what happens. I'm not ready to proclaim the 49ers the Super Bowl champion yet. I'm, I'm not there yet. Uh, I don't, I I love their defense. I've talked for years about how a defense always is not enough, right? You got to have a good quarterback. Look at Utah. This is a great example. I'm going off script here. Uh, It's not a script. It's bullet points, but you get the point. I'm going away from what I wrote down and prepared for this segment is that Utah football has this great defense in the Pac-12. And before the season started, I said, I don't, a lot, everybody, by the way, predicted Utah to win the Pac-12. And I said, I'm skeptical of a defensive-led team. Their quarterback, Tyler Huntley, is not good enough to carry a team to victory because a defense 
no matter what defense, no matter how great they are, especially in today's NFL, it's not 1985. It's not even 2001 with Ray Lewis. It's a different NFL. And a great defense always has at least one bad game. It's a little different in college when you can't afford to lose one game. But the Bears had a great defense years ago, and they lost in the Super Bowl because their quarterback was Rex Grossman. The question to me is, how good is Jimmy Garoppolo? I'll find out when I watch the film. Then I'll be ready to make a more concrete statement about the 49ers. I will also say the last six weeks, the 49ers have a great opportunity. Not that they care about my opinion, but I'm excited to see the last six weeks for the 49ers because if they do great, then going into the playoffs, I'm going to be full of confidence in them in the playoffs. If Jimmy Garoppolo's great and they win you know, four of the last six games or even five of their last six games, the Rams and Falcons suck, that'd be a huge statement to me. If they can beat the Saints, the Packers, the Seahawks, man, that'd be a big deal to me. So the last six games for the 49ers will be very telling and determine what kind of prediction to make about them going into the NFL playoffs. Jimmy Garoppolo's film analysis in those last six weeks are very detrimental and important for me to make a concrete statement about the 49ers. The next question is from Luke. It's a heavier one. So buckle in, folks. We're going to get away from... We're going to talk about life a little bit. You know, a dream of mine, by the way, I did a podcast very briefly. Look it up. Look up Zach Shomler on YouTube. Just Zach Shomler. I have a personal YouTube account. I did a, a, a podcast once upon a time called Zach Shomler is a Flawed Human. And I someday really would love to do that again. Uh, once I have my own apartment and have faster upload speeds and have more of a footing on my life, I really want to get back to doing that show because I, I don't want to just be the sports guy. I am the sports guy. But I'd love to have a platform that's a little more than that and go off track a little bit and talk about other things in my life. And I, I look, I've lived a weird life. I was homeless at one point. My brother died. I've been through a lot of weird... I lived, worked in LA, worked for ESPN. I've done a lot of weird stuff. I think I have good stories. And I'd love to share them all if I can. Got my car from a drug dealer. That's when people were like, I want to hear that. Point is, someday I want to start another podcast and re- not start. It's already there. The, the assets are there. I have whatever. I just got to do it again. So once I move into my new apartment, look for that someday. Anyways, Luke writes in and says, hey, Zach, I'm sure you've seen me before as I've made comments both on here and on Instagram. I have. You're awesome, Luke. My question is a bit more personal, if you don't mind. I'm 19, almost 20. I'm a 19, almost 20-year-old college student, and honestly, I feel really lost right now. Man, (laughs) let me tell you, first of all, that feeling of feeling lost at that age is very common. Look, I'm I'm only 22. I feel lost sometimes, and I have a plan and a career, and I know what I'm doing. I, I think I have a lot of things figured out more than some, and I still feel lost sometimes. So first of all, just I hope you know that feeling of feeling lost is nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. And I was there when I was 19. I was a mess, dude. I was home. I was an idiot and just um, probably more of a mess than you are right now. So whatever you're feeling, man, it's okay to be a mess at that age. This is the point. He says, I withdrew from my classes this semester because I'm so overwhelmed and stressed. I want to be a YouTuber and make content full time, but I just don't know if I should dive head first or what. YouTube is what I want to do. I don't know what else to do, but I want to make good content and I want it to feel rewarding. So my question is, what advice would you give to someone like me who's struggling to figure it out? Luke, um, I want to ask you two tough, potentially brutal questions. Do you love making content? 
and do you currently make content? Some people say that uh, they want to. A lot of people say they want to make content. You know how many people tell me, man, I'd love to have a podcast like yours, but they've never tried. They've never made anything. And you say you want to make content. I mean no offense, by the way, Luke. I'm just I'm asking for posterity to understand the situation. And send me a message, by the way, Luke. Send me a message on Patreon. Let's have a conversation more than just this podcast. But here's what I will say is, you know, start making content. Don't talk about wanting to make content. Start. Four years ago, I made awful, crappy, terrible content, but I started, and I got better. I went through hell, man. I, I, I've been to four colleges. My brother died. I was lost for a long, long time. But the whole time, the one constant in that situation was I knew I wanted to make content on YouTube and I knew I loved it and I wasn't just wanting to that whole time four different colleges brother died the one thing I was doing that entire time was making content and putting it on YouTube some of it is trash some of it is unlisted on my old YouTube channel because you can't even find it because it's so bad I hate it I'm embarrassed of it and maybe I should make some of them public in fact honestly if you want to hear listen to my very first strong opinion sports video it's about Conor McGregor, and it's laughably bad. It's so bad. I'm not natural on camera. It's terrible. But you got to start somewhere. So, Luke, I'm, I'm rooting for you in life. You say you want to make content. Are you making content? And if you love it, I think you would be, right? You know, I, I say I want to make a, a podcast about, you know, called Flawed Human. I've done it before, and I, I haven't done that in months. If I really wanted to do it, wouldn't I be doing it right now? I know that's a painful, tough question to answer, but is, is it a want or is it a whim? Because, again, the reality is if you wanted to do it, you'd probably be doing it. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just trying to be honest. You know, I recommend you sit down and, first of all, start making content. If you don't already, start. If you want to, if you want to make content, do it. I know I, I, I'm, a little, I'm being a little blunt here. I'm just trying to be honest. And then I, I recommend sitting down and journaling. This is to anyone. If you're struggling, uh, sit down and write. Sit down and write out your thoughts and figure out how you feel. If nothing, if you have, if you sit down and you have nothing to write, here's what you can write down. You write, my name is Luke. I don't know what to write. <laughs> Zach Schaumler says I have to write because he's mean and he says it'll fi- help me figure it out. And if you just keep writing what you're thinking, eventually it'll come out of you. That's, that's how I start writing every podcast. I sit down and write about all kinds of nonsense before sports finally come out of my head. But you got to get in that moment. And for me, writing down and journaling helps me process. So if you want to make content, Make content. Don't talk about wanting to make content. Make it happen. Find a way. There's no excuses. I don't care what your camera looks like. I I record all my podcasts on a Mac Mini. It's a $400 computer. It's trash. It's literally the speed of a 2013 laptop from Apple. It's 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 a terrible computer. Like I, I hate this thing. But hey, I'm doing the best I can with what I got. Don't be a perfectionist. Just get started and then get better. And then the last thing I you know I'm doing it. If you're going to talk, make claims, explain them. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to now shift gears into the next question because I think the next question is important. Randy says, hey, Zach, who are the best and worst announcers and play-by-play commentators in football today? The very worst commentator to me, I'll be honest about it, uh, is he's, he's a broadcaster for Monday Night Football. It's Booger McFarland. And a lot of people talk about him. They're very, very nice. He is awful, and here's why. He never explains what he's talking about. He makes all these claims. He'll say like, that guy's a good receiver. This guy is this and this guy, but he doesn't ever explain why he feels that way. I listened to a podcast today. Uh, I know people who started a movie podcast. 
and it's it's <sighs> I didn't know what they were talking about. I'm listing going, who are these people you're listing? What, what would I know them from? And they just gloss over these, a bunch of facts that nobody understands. You have to over-explain everything. Don't assume your audience knows what you're talking about. Well, it's a moth. A moth just came out of the paper. Horrifying. <laughs> Don't, <laughs> what, the, what is the show? I'm in a basement. You're like in a microphone. 100,000 people. Um, my point is this, man. Over-explain everything. If you want to be a good broadcaster, why is Larry Fitzgerald the great receiver? Why this? Why that? Now, the two best in the business to me are Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson. Their excitement, their passion, it comes through the microphone. And when someone is passionate about what they're doing, passionate about what they're doing, it comes out. It's, there's an energy when people love what they're talking about. And when you listen to Gus Johnson, there's a, he goes, Stokely, down the sideline. Wow, like that, you can feel the electricity when he talks. And Joel Klatt, his partner, you know, they're the two, they're, they're both the guys for uh, Fox Sports College football. They're, they're the two best in the business, man. They have great chemistry. I think Joel Klatt always has interesting thoughts to talk about when he adds commentary to the game. Those two are phenomenal. They're the best in the business. The reason why Booger McFarland is bad is because he doesn't explain what he's talking about. Booger, if you want to help, come talk to me. I will help make you a better broadcaster. I think this is a, a bold claim. I think I could do better than Booger McFarland. I, I, I very rarely say that. I know nobody will. I listen to Pat McAfee talk about him. And, you know, Pat McAfee, uh, he, by the way, he's the best, like, podcaster in the game. When you talk about sports, he's so honest in himself. But even he was like, well, you know, it, it's a hard gig. That's because he's a, an ESPN employee. He can't say what he really thinks. Booger McFarlane does a bad job because he doesn't explain what he's talking about. That's the thing. That's why people hate him. And nobody can understand why they hate him. They just feel like they're lost because there's a disconnect there because they can't follow what he's talking about because he doesn't ever explain it. That why, if you ever listen to Booger McFarlane on Monday Night Football and you don't like him, it's, that's probably why. It's because he doesn't explain himself. Okay. Wow. What a rant about Booger McFarlane. <laughs> oh, Zach, what are you doing? Did I just make it quieter? I hope not. I think I just tapped the, uh, I don't know, whatever. So that was Randy. Andrew writes in. Andrew says, hi, Zach. Do you think Kemba Walker can lead the Celtics better than Kyrie Irving? My, my, uh, my people upstairs are dragging chairs across the ceiling. Can you hear that? They're like banging. Maybe you can't. I'm just going to go with it. And if you can hear it, we're in Ask Zach now, right? I'm not even going to make this a breakout. This is just a podcast. If you can hear that, like, but you hear that? Can anybody hear that? I'm not, I'm not even going to cut. I think it's actually funny. Andrew Wrightson says, Zach, do you think Kemba Walker can lead the Celtics better than Kyrie Irving? Yeah, I do. Yes, I believe Kyrie Irving can lead the Celtics better. Sorry, well, Kemba Walker. I believe Kemba Walker can lead the Celtics better than Kyrie Irving. Uh, I think he's more hungry than Kyrie. And he's not selfishly motivated. Kyrie Irving has become a brand that's concerned about a lot more than necessarily just basketball. And that's, that's not the worst thing ever. You know, LeBron is a brand. Everybody's a brand. But Kemba's not. That's an advantage that most basketball players don't have. 
Kemba Walker just wants to win. That's his sole focus. He's in a city that he's never... Uh, he's finally in a good place where he can win games. He's got a great head coach. He's a better fit with Brad Stevens, their head coach in Boston. He's a great leader. I loved watching Kemba Walker at UConn. And I cannot wait to watch him win. I think he's a much better fit in Boston than Kyrie Irving ever was. He's a team player. He's hungry to win. He'll listen to the coach. And he's happy to be there. He's, he hasn't won before. He won't take anything for granted. Not necessarily that Kyrie Irving did. But when you've never had success, you're very grateful for it. As someone from experience, he's finally, finally having a little bit of success in my career. It's like the greatest thing of all time. It feels so good. And all you want, when you get a little success that you've worked for for so long, you finally start to succeed. It just, I, I think Kemba Walker, this is what I've done, is I dug my head down. I try to work even harder. I think Kemba Walker's the same kind of guy. I think Kemba Walker's going to do great stuff with the Boston Celtics. Emilio writes in, Emilio says, what are your thoughts on Felix Hernandez retiring? Was his career wasted in Seattle? Felix Hernandez is a legendary pitcher who pitched for the Seattle Mariners for years. His career is so sad to me. He reminds me of Joe Thomas, the Hall of Fame offensive lineman who played his whole career with the Browns and never really won. Felix Hernandez played his entire career for the Seattle Mariners, an awful franchise. Although you have to acknowledge he chose to be there. This is the hard part about this conversation is you can feel bad for him. But he also signed contracts and stayed in Seattle. You know, when I was 11 years old, I hated everything the Mariners were doing. I was so frustrated and furious. I don't know if I, I might have been older than 11, but all I remember is they traded Adam Jones for Eric Bedard. And that was the last straw with me. I was like, I can't, I cannot support this team anymore. You got rid of Raul Abanez, Adrian Beltre, and I just was like, I'm, you know what? I cannot I just cannot, I didn't agree with what was going on in the front office, and I, I, I left the fandom of the Seattle Mariners. No team has ever driven me nuts more than that. So nine-year-old Zach, 11-year-old Zach, however old I was, decided I'm done with the Mariners. I want a team that is run a better way. Felix could have done that same thing too. If he wanted to leave Seattle, he could have. If he wanted to win more than he wanted to make millions of dollars, he could have. He always signed gigantic contracts in Seattle. Don't blame him. Was it how many was it? I don't even remember how many contacts it was. I lost touch with the Mariners. I did. But he, he chose Seattle. He chose to be there. He chose the losing. He chose the money. He could have gone to a team like the Yankees or the Red Sox. He could a lot of teams would have loved to have Felix Hernandez, and he never made a decision to leave. So was his career wasted? Yes, but it was wasted on his own terms. He got paid handsomely for it. And Felix Hernandez chose the fate he got in Seattle. Devinator writes in, I was, he says, hey, Zach, a.k.a. the God. Devinator, slow down, man. Fanny, I love you. You've written some great questions. Zach, the God, never say that one again. <laughs> I'm not a God. I'm an idiot doing the best I can. Um, I'm, mm -mm. He says, anyways, his question is, I was wondering what you think the hardest part of transitioning as a quarterback from the NCAA to the NFL is. Is it the quicker throws, the added pressure to do well? Thanks so much. I think you actually are pretty close. The hardest part is the windows are smaller. A lot of guys in college, Tyler Huntley at Utah is a great example, throws to guys once they're already open. So when you're going through your read progression, you go, okay, that guy's open, I'm going to throw him the ball. In the NFL, it's a different mindset. You go, that guy's about to be open and throw to the window where the, he's going to be open. The difference is you're throwing to guys before they're open 
into windows, leading them open. Whereas in college, a lot of guys are throwing to guys who are already wide open. <clears throat> yes, everything's faster, but your anticipation has to be different at a higher level. And then you have to somehow do all of that while you're getting hit. Not to mention defenses are more complicated because you don't have classes. You don't have restrictions on practice time. You can do crap all the time. You can watch film and install a ton of plays. Defenses are far more complicated. They're, it's professional football. It's a far more, it's a higher level of football. So everything's faster. Everything's more complicated. You got to call all your own protections. You got to have better anticipation. And then, yeah, a little bit of pressure. The media is way bigger. Unless you play to Alabama or USC or really Georgia, anywhere in the SEC, like a quarterback from Washington State who goes to the NFL, man, that's a bigger, you've never been in a big market like that. Like Pullman, Washington is a tiny market where most of the people interviewing you are college students. And you go to New York from Pullman, you're, you're horrified by the, the level of media and the questions you get and the pressure you'll feel from the fans. So yeah, pressure has to do with it, but I think a lot of it is just the game gets faster and the professional game is a, it's just a different level. It just, as everything I said matters, you know, like, got to have better anticipation. You got to do what people are hitting you. You got to understand defenses at a more complex level. And there's more pressure from fans. Uh, not necessarily, but I think from the media, the media is where the pressure comes from. In college, there's a ton of pressure from fans. P fans are insane no matter what level of football you play at. But the media is the difference. You leave a college town and go to a big city, LA, a big market like that. The media is different. Brian writes in, Brian says, can you compare Russell Wilson and Baker Mayfield? I know Baker is supposed to be in the same vein as Russell Wilson, but I see a couple things that counter that opinion projection. Yeah, a lot of things counter that. He, they're not similar. They, they're, they're not, I don't understand actually where your question comes from because frankly, Russell Wilson and Baker Mayfield are not in the same vein. They're not similar. They're, they're, I hate that they're constantly compared. The thing they have in common that's, the biggest thing they have in common is their height. They're both short quarterbacks. Other than that, Russell Wilson's a way, 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 way better athlete than Baker Mayfield. They're not comparable. Like, it's just, they're, they're just different athletes, top to bottom. And then here's the other thing is leadership. <clears throat> I don't know how I feel about Baker Mayfield as a leader. I'm very, I'm, I'm all over the place on this one. I, I've, I've always thought he's a great leader. I'm, I'm concerned. Here's why. Uh, I had a coach one time tell me that great leaders take extreme ownership of their situation. You know, if you break up with a girl, it's on you to go, hey, where was I wrong in the situation? Take ownership of the things you did wrong. If you are an offensive coordinator for the worst offense in your entire league, it's on you to go, hmm, take accountability, take some ownership for your role in the offense you designed that's not doing well. Ryan Leaf, uh, the former NFL bust, he, he was a horrible quarterback in the NFL. He failed miserably. Was talking about how he didn't like the way that Baker Mayfield complained about the refs after his game the other day. In an interview, he, to me, when I watched the interview, it sounded like he just kind of mentioned the refs. But Ryan Leaf took great, uh, he had a big problem with this. He said, look, you need to not blame others. Take accountability for what happened. Ryan Leaf is concerned, and I'm concerned, that Baker Mayfield is not taking enough count accountability for his actions. Ryan Leaf said it reminded him of himself. When things got bad and he lost, he blamed everybody but himself. He wasn't able to say, 
oh, I screwed up. I made mistakes. So one of the most important traits in life, when you, whether you're looking for a girlfriend or people to, to work with or hire, whatever, find people who are comfortable owning their mistakes. Honestly, if you're looking for a podcast host that does a great job, look for someone who's willing to, like I do. <laughs> Sorry, that's what I'm most proud of on the show is I'm willing to say, hey, I'm wrong sometimes. That's what I'm very proud of with Strong Opinion Sports. And if Baker Mayfield is unwilling and unable to admit when he's wrong, I don't know if he is or not. I'm just, we're talking right here. But if he's not able to, that's a big problem. It's, it's an if question. It's an if statement, right? If. If he's not able to admit when he's wrong, it's a big problem. I know that seven of Baker Mayfield's 11 interceptions were tipped or bounced off his receiver's hands. Doesn't change the fact that Baker Mayfield still hasn't played great. I hope he's taking ownership and not blaming his receivers. I hope Baker Mayfield's taking ownership. So Russell Wilson and Baker Mayfield, they're different athletes. Baker Mayfield is not even nearly close to as good an athlete running around and extending plays and making things happen. His speed and ability to move makes it very hard to compare Baker Mayfield to Russell Wilson. They do share the same height and their leadership. I think Russell Wilson's a better leader. That's who I would want as my, as my quarterback. I, I would rather have Russell Wilson than Baker Mayfield. I don't think they're in the same vein at all. I guess you, maybe you could com- compare Kyler Murray to Russell Wilson if you want. They're more, they have a more similar play style, and they're both short. But Baker and, and Russ, and Baker, Baker play style compares more to Drew Brees. So, yeah, I, don't, I just don't see the Russell Wilson-Baker Mayfield comparison at all. I feel like I'm missing a question. Oh, here it is. It's from Josh. Josh writes in and says, Hey, Zach. So now that Patrick Mahomes is injured, what do you think of the Chiefs? Will they still make the playoffs, or are the games without Mahomes going to show just how much their offense depends on his talents and fall flat? Love what you're doing, and thanks for looking at this with your eyeballs. I love that. Because I, I say something in my show. I guarantee I will look at every question with my eyeballs. Um, look, man. You, Josh... You, you made a statement. I really like what you said. What did you say here? You said, are the games without Mahomes going to show just how much their offense depends on his talents and fall flat? Yes. Yes. The Chiefs offense relies very heavily on Patrick Mahomes making plays. But also, doesn't every offense in the NFL? I think the Chiefs are going to go 1-2 and two at best, probably 0-3 without Patrick Mahomes, but they're going to be just fine. They're not going to miss the playoffs. Three games without their quarterback. It, it would be disastrous if he was going to be out eight weeks or the rest of the year. Then, yeah, the Chiefs season would be over. The Chiefs season is not over. Even if they go 0-3 without him, they'll find themselves at 5-4. And, and the next best competition in their in the, their division, the AFC West, are the Oakland Raiders, who are 3-2. and two. Their next four games are at the Packers, at the Texans, then the Lions and the Chargers. I don't think the Raiders are going to go 4-0 in the stretch that Patrick Mahomes is out. So, I mean, honestly, I think the, the Chiefs are going to come back. Whether they have the first place spot in their division or not, whether they're 5-4, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3, 
they don't need to win the wild card or be at the top of the AFC. I don't think they will be. The, the Chiefs don't need to be the one or two seed to make it into the playoffs. They don't even need to be in the wild card spot. They just need to win their division. And their division sucks. They have the Chargers and the Broncos. The Broncos are two and five. They're awful. And the Raiders are the, the only team, I think, that can challenge the Chiefs moving forward in that division. And I don't think the Raiders can catch them. So I'm confident that it's going to be just fine for the Kansas City Chiefs without Patrick Mahomes, even if they go 0-3 without him. Okay, finally, uh, I, I'm going to do two questions. Let's do briefly John. John says, hey, Zach, I hope you're having a good evening. I love the show, and I'm always looking forward to the next episode. This is an old question. The Astros are now 3-2. With the Astros going up 3-1 of the Yankees and seeing that the Dodgers and Braves have already been eliminated from the postseason, would you say the Astros have already got the World Series in the bag? Well, the Nationals turn some heads with the sweep of the Cardinals. They don't seem to have much of a shot against the Houston ball club. Also love the show. Keep up the great work. Uh, so, first of all, the Yankees made a series. The Yankees won tonight, 4-1. to one. So, the Astros lead the series 3-2, to two, going into Game 5, question mark? That was Game 5. Going into Game 6, I think, tomorrow. Point is this. The baseball playoffs, to me, have been just disappointing. I really wanted this Astros-Yankees series to be good. It's been solid. Uh, I, I, it sucked that CC Sabathia is gone and out. And um, I, I really wanted Astros or Yankees to play against the Dodgers. The Dodgers are out. I don't think it matters. Whoever wins in uh, the, the American League is going to win the Amer- World Series to me. And I think the Astros are so good. I mean, they, they have the best incredible pitching. Incredible starting pitching. They have great hitting. They're incredible at home. I, I don't see a, a, an entire scenario where the Astros don't win the World Series. It'd be a giant choke job if they didn't win the World Series, given how good their team is. And that's sad to me. I thought the Dodgers were going to be a team that could challenge the Astros. Probably not beat the Astros, but make it an interesting series. And we're not going to get that. Baseball is when it, Baseball matters, and it's intense, and it's close. It's fun to me. I haven't really felt that way watching the playoffs this year. I've tried. I've, I've been. I've made attempts. Some of the announcers are boring. That that adds to it. I love Joe Buck. Joe Buck's great, but uh, it's to me mm, not quite enough. I, I just had a hard time connecting with baseball this playoffs, and that makes me sad because I love playoff baseball normally. The last question today comes from Michael. Michael says, "Hey Zach, Michael here, and as you know, I'm a Titans fan and a Mariota defender. Mariota, Mariota, whatever his name is." But I'm out of excuses and out of patience. As you're already doing a Marcus topic, I just wanted to add a couple additional questions surrounding the situation. I'm going to read them all. They're good. He says, one, assuming this is the end of his Titans career, where do you think he'll end up? Hopefully Chicago. I don't know. I, I, don't, I have no idea where he's going to go. Who knows? But he says he's way too young to be out of the league for good. I agree. He's a good player who I think if... We'll talk about it in a minute. He also says, whose fault is Marcus Mariota's failure? His own? The constant inconsistencies around him? And finally, number three, where do the Titans go from here? Is this a win now with the vet or build for the future with a rookie type of team at this point? Love to know your thoughts. And for the record, still love Marcus. And I hope he does succeed eventually. Maybe like Carson Palmer, some point in the future, keep up the good work. I like, Michael, that you wish Marcus well. I think Marcus Mariota is a wonderful human being. I met him once at a camp at Oregon. I like him, the guy. He's a very humble kind human who just like people matter and Marcus is a good person you just it just it's I don't know how you can possibly believe that it just leaks out of him he's a kind nice man 
I hope he has a resurgence in his career. It'd be really cool. I like the Carson Palmer bit. And maybe Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner was benched and lost his spot. And then eventually had a resurgence at another team and played great. Uh, Whose fault is Marcus Mariota's failure? It's partially him, right? He has not been good enough. He's been average and mediocre for a long time. It's also, look, he's had five offensive coordinators in his five seasons in Tennessee. That's unacceptable, man. Like, that's, that's really terrible. He never had a great offensive coach. And the one time he did, he left. He had Matt LaFleur. Yeah, this, is, this is the one thing that's funny, though. Titans fans and a lot of people, I, I live in Pac-12 country, so a lot of the Pac-12 media are people I've met and I know and I see them on Instagram and Facebook and what, not, I don't go on Facebook, what's the other one? Uh, Instagram and uh, I don't go on Twitter. How, what do I say? Doesn't, oh, people send me stuff on Facebook. That's what it is. People send me, you know, Yogi Roth's quotes and stuff. Yogi Roth. I have his number on my phone, by the way. He's never replied to me. Kind of stinks. Point is, a lot of people keep saying that Marcus Mariota never had good coaching and they come down very hard on that point. And he had Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur is the head coach of the Packers. He's doing pretty well. He's five and five and one. Probably gonna be six and one after they beat the Raiders this week. <laughs> People get mad at me. Um no, it seems like the Titans had a good offensive coach and they let him leave. So it's both, right? He's never had consistent coaching. He did the one time he had a good coach, that coach left. And he's been average for a long time and not good enough. But I do think this is the place I want. I don't know where he's going to go. Who? How could you possibly know? Maybe the Bengals. That'd be cool. But what I want to see from Marcus Mariota is for him to go to Chicago. I know that makes Bears fans angry. I think he would do phenomenal with Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy, the coach for the Bears, his strength is creating good matchups. That's what good. That's all good offensive coordinators do, really, is create good matchups for their quarterback to take advantage of. Put your quarterback in a position to make plays. I don't think Mariota's really had that enough, and I think with my, Matt Nagy, he could. Mitchell Trubisky doesn't enough take advantage of the good matchups that Matt Nagy presents to him. He has guys open downfield. There's a, I talked about it on, on the episode today about how there's a great wheel route they ran against the Redskins. And for whatever reason, Trubisky got scared, panicked, and checked it down instead of throwing to the guy who's wide open downfield. Marcus Mariota completes that pass. Marcus Mariota would make up for the deficiencies of Mitchell Trubisky. If I'm the Bears, I go full force after Marcus Mariota. I trade a first-round pick for him. I don't care. Because who am I going to bring in? Jake Fromm and Tua? Like you're not, you're not going to get a great quarterback who's able to play right now. And I, I honestly think, I think Mike Vrabel is a good defensive coach. I like the, the pieces the Titans have on defense. But, oh, excuse me, what am I talking about? No, the, sorry, the Bears. Wow. Man, I, I like the Titans defense. See, I like Mike Vrabel. But Matt Nagy and the Bears, the Bears defense is good. <laughs> like 40 and slip there, I guess. I don't know. My point is the Bears, Trubisky's not enough. He's mediocre. He can't take that team to a Super Bowl. Mariota could, in my opinion. I think Mariota's good enough and can be consistent enough with good enough coaching. So that's what I hope happens for Marcus Mariota. That's that's my whole conglomerate answer. Yeah, he's he's been unfairly treated with, you know, not inconsistent coaching. The one time he had a good coach, they left. He hasn't been great though. You know, he needs to deliver too. It's it's somewhat on him. And then if he goes to Chicago, he succeeds big time. And I think Chicago is going to fail if they continue to wait for Mitchell Trubisky to make it work. 
Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I'm going to play a song, uh, Playing Us Out. It's one of my favorites. It, honestly, it's the jam of the, the week for me, maybe the jam of the year. I get so excited and pumped up. This is the song I listen to to get like hyped. I listened to it before the show. I play it on repeat for like two hours. I asked, I sent them a message. They said they could. I said, they said I could play it. They're friends of mine, my buddy named Ethan, another guy named Jordan, Ethan Day. The, the, one of the singers is just an incredible talent. I love these guys who have a great heart. They're great musicians. This is my friends, Almost Blonde, and their song, Wasted Time. Have a great day and take care. As I jump in the deep So you can learn from my mistakes And cut the weight from your feet I was once like you And you'll be just like me Don't mistake me for somebody That you shouldn't believe Do you remember the person That you aspired to be? Well he packed up his bags And he's ready to leave He's on the brink It's time to think of what you want to achieve Cause there's a different path For the life you need If it was easy Everybody would have followed your lead And you will get no respect Until you start to succeed And people still are gonna catch you Just to watch you bleed Take it from the old man Who used to walk in your feet Hold you, dug inside